Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, now as your people here, along with, we trust, many others of your people gathered across this country, having gathered already or yet together across this world, we pray here that your spirit that exists in all those places and dwells in all your people would dwell in us again, and that you would bless the preaching of your word for our great benefit. We look to you and ask you in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, which you'll find uh, this particular part of John's gospel on page 902. To give us a little context before I read this, uh, verse 9 through 11, which is where we'll be this morning, just as a reminder, Jesus is with his disciples in the days and hours preceding when he'll be arrested and crucified. And he has been talking to them about his plan soon to leave them, to depart, to go to be with the Father, but not permanently. He will come back to them. But there will be a time when he's gone from them and Yet he'll send his spirit to help them. And it is that time, that, that life they're going to live without him and yet life with him through the spirit. That's the thing that Jesus has been focusing on here in chapter 15. That, that's kind of the framework and the context of the conversation he's having with his disciples now. What's your life, disciples, going to look like with me even though I'm not going to be physically present with you? So we enter into that conversation, which we started last week and which we'll continue this week. And Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll pick it back up again uh, in verse 9. In verse 9. Jesus says this to the disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In these three verses... I think Jesus is giving us one, one main idea to see, and it's this. Jesus is inviting us into his joy. We are being invited here into the joy of Jesus. We can have Jesus' life, and we can live Jesus' life. We can have his life, and we can live his life. In this way, we're being invited into the joy of Jesus. It is as if Jesus is telling us here, I'm telling you as I tell the disciples, because contained in my words is what you need to have the experience of Jesus Christ in your being. And to have that experience that he had, his joy, for you to be able to have that experience increase over the course of your life. Nothing less than that is what Jesus is inviting us into this morning. I hope 
that you are excited about the prospect of that. And I hope that if you are a discouraged and weary and downcast Christian this morning, that even you will be excited to hear Jesus say, my joy can be in you. Now, if you're here and you don't want that, no matter how good your life may seem today, God says you should be concerned that your heart may be dead to what really matters. If there's anything that you would trade for what Jesus is offering here, oh friend, you have been deceived by something that is false. You cannot live life better or more fully or more significantly or more satisfyingly than Jesus. And then Jesus did. Jesus is inviting us to live in his joy and tells us how it happens here in the passage. He tells us it happens in two ways. And that will be the structure of my sermon this morning. Jesus is inviting us to live in his joy. He tells us how that happens in two ways. First, we get Jesus' life. And second, we live Jesus' life. First, we get Jesus' life. Looking at the passage again, notice, notice that Jesus frames this conversation, this small paragraph, around his life with the Father. You see it there at the beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then look then in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus is describing his life with his Father, with God, under two headings. His life with the Father is first receiving love from the Father, and his life is also returning love back to the Father in obedience. This is the eternal life that Jesus lives. Receiving love from his Father, returning love back to his Father in obedience. If you could peer into the engine room of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, this would be the thing in operation that you would see in Jesus' part. Receiving love from the Father, returning love and obedience to him. Love being perfectly given, perfectly received, perfectly returned. So friends, I want you to see Jesus is defining his life His life, L-I-F-E, capital letters, in bold. Jesus is defining his life this way. I receive love from the Father. I return love and obedience to the Father. This is my life I'm offering you. If you're going to abide in him, you're going to live in that reality. And Jesus is not just defining his life. He's describing the experience Of what it is to live that life. And what's the word he uses? Joy. Joy. Joy has lots of different manifestations. Sometimes it can look like peace. Other times it can look like patience. Other times happiness. But joy itself is a position of the heart when a person is completely and totally content and satisfied in life with God. 
We'll get to think more on this joy in coming weeks. In John 16, 20, Jesus says joy is the opposite of sorrow. And joy is like the experience of a mother as she holds her newborn baby. Jesus is inviting us into that. So Jesus, you see, has kind of bookended this conversation with his description of his life. And then in between that, the the passage is where he then turns to his disciples and directs them. What is he directing them to? He's directing them, live in this life with me. Live in my life with me. Abide in me. Live with me like I live with my Father. Receive my love. Return love to me with your obedience. And remain there. Now think about how long Jesus had been living in this way. Eternally, right? Think about what existed before anything else. It was this relationship, father and son, giving and receiving and returning love. This relationship had been operating forever. So, so friends, if the ozone blows wide open and all the nuclear bombs go off and climate change melts all the glaciers and floods the world and there's left nothing of any of it, this life in the Holy Trinity would remain same as it has always been since before the world began. Jesus could not offer you anything greater than what he's holding out to you here. Jesus is offering us to participate in what is eternally real. If the world can pass away, but this will remain, then this is the reality. The thing God calls life is not defined by physical things or physical years or physical organisms. It is the experience of a spiritual relationship with the Trinity. To experience joy in Jesus is to know what life, capital letters, L-I-F-E, is. What it's like, what it does in your soul to be on the receiving end of a perfect blessed love. To know what it is, what it feels like, what it means to respond back in love to God. What is motivating this invitation from Jesus? Why is he offering it to us? Well, the motivation is for you to have what the Trinity has. Love is God sharing his life with you. 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I believe this is the love and motivation that moved the Trinity to create everything. And especially mankind. He wants to share his reality, his life with you. Now Jesus spoke these words just days before he died. A death he purposefully walked toward and submitted to, though he didn't have to. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross. And have his human life snuffed out. 
But then three days later, the same Jesus, fully man, fully God, rose from death, walked out of the tomb where he had been laid. He laid down his life and he took it back up again. So the cross is not just a symbolic gesture. It's not merely a demonstration of just how far Jesus will go to prove he loves us. The resurrection is not some vague but bright, iconic moment for us to find hope in in dark times. These actions, death and resurrection, these are pivotal moments in God's whole plan. When Jesus says, here, here is my life. It is the life I carry, Jesus says, from the Trinity. And here in my death and resurrection, I offer it to you. You can have it because in my death, I washed you clean and made you holy. You can be here to take it because I died for you. You can forget about the sins that barred you before. I left those condemned in my body in the grave. Now you can rise from that death and you can rise and live my life in you. By offering his life to us, Jesus is telling us what's possible for us. Read the Gospels and see Jesus there, his his calm and his steadiness, his wisdom and his confidence, his compassion and his righteous anger, his sacrifice and his love for hurting people. That is all the fruit that comes out of Jesus's life. That's what came out of him because he received his father's love and he returned love to his father. Jesus is telling us here. That there is a way to enjoy union and fellowship with God in the depths of our being just like he did. He's offering all that to us. Why did Jesus come here? John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me ask you. Is that your experience of the Christian life? I find as I look back on 20 years as a Christian, I have somehow often twisted Jesus' words. And and it is as as if I didn't hear him say what he's saying, but I heard him say, I came, Philip, so that you might have partial life. And I give it sparingly. Sometimes the way we linger in sin as long as we do. Or how we talk more about our sin than our Savior makes it seem like we think Jesus offered us a way to enjoy life with him later, but not yet. Like like for some reason, Jesus could only give us a glimpse of the Trinitarian relationship, but we'd have to wait until heaven to live in it. I don't think that's what he's saying. I grew up around strong biblical belief and teaching, much like we hold to here. My experience of listening to that for nearly 40 years, people opening the Bible and championing the truth in its pages has been my life. And as a consequence, I know a lot about why Jesus had to die. Why the cross is so important for my sin. Why it is that we confess our sin and seek his forgiveness in his name because he died to take the penalty of our sin against the holy God. I know a lot about that. 
But if along the way of my Christian journey, even up until recently, you asked me what my experience of Jesus' resurrection life has been as a Christian, I think I would fumble for an answer. I've sat in many conversations with Christians who are recalling their testimonies, and they too have confessed the wonderful story of a Savior crucified for, for sinners on the wonderful cross, which we sang about earlier, and praise God for it. It is our hope. It is the possibility of redemption and reconciliation to a holy God. And yet so often the resurrection of Jesus is left out of the scene because maybe they too have been taught more about Jesus's death than his life. I don't know why this happens. I don't know why it has happened, but A narrow view of our human struggle with sin has become what I think many Christians think is life in Jesus in the world. Did Jesus come to tell us that in order to enjoy his life, we need to fixate on our sin? Did Jesus ever encourage anyone to dwell on their sin? No. He said, when you see it, Turn your eyes in faith on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And find hope and forgiveness in him. Living in sin or acting like sin is just a part of life here on earth. That is not life. Sin is not part of Jesus' life with the Father. Sin was an aberration to God's perfect world. Do you know why Jesus took it upon himself to come and be acquainted with our sin and our broken world so that he could get us out of it? And so you see in Romans 7, Paul agonizing about this state we live in. Of course we live in that there's a flesh and there's this world and there's besetting sins in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do and all that. And then he turns to the page and in Romans 8, 1, he says there's no condemnation. Do you know what he talks about right after that? Life we can live in the spirit. The only thing preventing us from fully living Jesus' life is our own ignorance or our unwillingness. There is no more gift of life left for him to give. The whole thing was offered on the cross. It all came out of the tomb. It is carried to our ears and our hearts this morning through his word. And the life of Jesus can and will, if you ask for it, it will come to live in you by the spirit of God. Your weakness is not the problem because God says he supplies power to the weak. It's our ignorance. It's our unwillingness. And if you were ignorant before this morning, praise God that you aren't anymore. Because you've heard Jesus offer you his life. He is kindly giving it to us. If any of us remains in sin, after hearing Jesus gives us life, we must admit that we are simply unwilling to receive the life he gives. And I hope none of us make that dreadful choice. At the invitation of Jesus who has life and gives life, we should all come and receive it and live life with him. Jesus gives us his life, and this is the beginning of our path to joy that he offers. And as the gift is transferred from him to us, we see the second point on the path to Jesus' joy. Point number two, we live Jesus' life. 
So Jesus defines his life. He describes it. He offers it to us in this passage in verse 9, verse 10. And then his life transfers, or the possibility of it transferring to us is there. And as I reread the text, I'm going to read 9 through 11 again. See if you can see how that happens or see that happening here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So after receiving life from Jesus, there are two avenues through which we live Jesus's life. We receive his life in faith and we live his life through obedience. We receive his life through faith and we live his life through obedience. We're going to look at both of those. This is how we live Jesus's life with him. First, we receive his life in faith. Twice here, Jesus tells his disciples to abide in the love he brings. He says, abide in my love, present. And then tells them how they will remain or abide in his love into the future. You will abide. The idea is whatever it is that's supposed to characterize their life going forward, that they're supposed to remain in, is what is the same thing they initially received, Jesus' love. From the perspective of the Christian, Jesus intends us to view our life with him as happening wherever he is. We are not on a journey to get to Jesus. We are on a journey with him. This emphasis on receiving love and remaining in Jesus' love makes a lot of sense in light of the vine imagery that Jesus has just been using. So if you remember from last week, or if you just want to scan back to earlier in chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine, verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser, or scan down to verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Knowing that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, as branches, we are then to put ourselves in the receiving position for Jesus' life to come to us. And and we don't just kind of hook our branch to his vine like a race car in a pit stop, just enough to get the fuel and off to life without the vine. No, we stay there. Because the vine is the only place the branch can receive life and return it. Remember, in this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples and with us, he wants to give us joy. He he wants us to experience his life with him. And notice that the gift comes as a gift of his love. The joy of Jesus comes to be in you when Jesus loves you with his father's love. That is just one of the many benefits of Jesus' saving work in your life. The Father's love, through the Jesus' love, comes to be the love that lives in you. 
When by his spirit, the risen and ascended Jesus brings new life to your dead heart, he comes to live in you. And when he comes to live in you, Christian, or non-Christian who's hearing this as a word of hope, what he brings with you is his joy with him. He comes into you. I know these words just seem frail and crumbly to try to define what Jesus is telling us is the reality he's giving us, but it's true. His joy comes to be in us. So what do we need to do to have his joy in our hearts? We only need to be and remain to be willing to have our otherwise dead branches connected to Jesus. The simple recognition that there is no life but his. A deliberate and intentional turning makes you stop giving yourself to the defiant attempts you've been making to find life outside of life with God. What is this connection point with us, the branch, and Jesus, the vine? It's faith. Faith is the connection point of the branch and the vine. It is the wholehearted agreement that we know and we believe and we trust where life comes from. It comes only from the vine and that's where we'll remain. Faith is a glad welcome to Jesus to unite you to himself in love. And as he does, he carries you into the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And because it is the access point to life, L-I-F-E, capital letters. You will consistently be finding that your faith is being attacked. In the Garden of Eden, Satan launched a two-pronged attack against humanity. The first aimed at Adam and Eve's trust. That the reality God had set up for life with him was indeed the only true version of life. Satan tempted them to believe that there was a thing called life, L-I-F-E, capital letters, that they did not require, that did not require that they believe God's word. He enticed them to disconnect their branch from life with God and attach it to a vine he called life in yourself. Satan lured them to believe that they could be like the Trinity, entirely and eternally self-existent, not needing to derive life from God, but generating life within themselves as gods. Does that sound at all familiar to you as an attack you might be experiencing as a Christian? How many different whispers have tickled our desires for autonomy this week? How many subtle insinuations that to truly live is to fulfill what we want, not what God wants for us. Our faith is the access point to life with Jesus, and it is regularly under attack. How do we fight back? Well, to receive love from Jesus and to remain in his love, you must believe his definition of life is, in fact, true life. You must take him at his word. You must believe that what he's offered is the only way. There is no life market that we can go to and pick out the one that best suits us. It is not an infinite variety of choices on the shelf left for you to decide. This is not like your choice to buy the generic drug over the name brand drug because you essentially get the same thing but at a lesser price. 
There's no shop. There are no shelves. There are no generics, no counterfeits. There is one life. And it is only in receiving love and life from Jesus and returning love to Jesus. We must believe by faith that all other supposed lives are false. With the same decisive trust and activity that we would express when we believe that poison, if consumed, will kill us. So we don't drink poison so positively that this is the only life. So we will only attach our branch to this vine, Jesus Christ. And your decision to trust Jesus on this, what life is, will determine whether or not you're connected to the vine. Now, some of us think there's joy to be had outside of God. As long as you believe that, you will not be able to access Jesus' life. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to life, you will not completely connect yourself to him to receive what only he can give. Sin is the act in which we spiritually disconnect our branch from Jesus' vine and attempt to get life from another vine. Some of us think we're living with Jesus, but we don't have any joy. Our lives are riddled with anxiety and anger and bitterness and apathy and defensiveness and pride. Confessing Jesus with our mouths and yet living on our own strength. A lack of joy in our lives with Jesus is a sure sign that we need to check what we're believing in. Where are our branches attached? The life that comes from the vine has joy in it. There must be a connection problem in our faith where we are being stopped from gladly depending on Jesus for the life he gives. A weary, discouraged Christian who, who really believes and trusts in Jesus, but you see that your faith is small. Well, Jesus says nothing here about the size of the branch. So I want to encourage you, even if you think your faith is small, at many points, Jesus commends those who, though they knew their faith was small, they come and they put their trust, small as it may be, entirely in him. It's, it's not how big our branch is that assures us of life with God. It's how powerful the life is that flows into us from Jesus, our vine. Faith is a part of the way we live Jesus' life. Just as he received love, we receive his love. And as we rest in his love and believe and go on believing him for life, our joy will increase because we see how the vine supplies. Our prayers come back answered. Our trials demonstrate lessons of his faithfulness. Our troubled circumstances do not affect our heart being at peace with him. Faith is how we live Jesus' life with him. But there's another part of life with Jesus, how we live Jesus's life. We receive his life in faith, but we also live his life in obedience. Look again at verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... 
You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right in the middle of Jesus' invitation to experience the joy of life with him in the Trinity, Jesus highlights obedience. And he says our obedience to him is the same obedience that he offers to his Father. And so I relay to you this simple teaching straight from Jesus. Obeying Jesus with Jesus' obedience is life with God. Obeying Jesus with Jesus' obedience is Life, L-I-F-E, capital letters, with God. Think again about the vine life. In, in a vine, a substance is carried from the vine into the branch that if you could see it, and maybe our biology experts would tell us you might be able to see it, you would say, if you could, there, that, that's flowing. That, that's where the life is. And in the Christian life, And Jesus is telling us obedience is that substance. The Spirit of God through the Son of God brings the power of God into God's people. And that power is the ability to believe for the connection to the vine and obey for the ongoing experience of life. If you want to describe the chief activity of the Christian life, you have two key words Jesus is giving us. Faith and obedience. So faith and works, if you've been wondering, are inseparably bound. Faith accesses life. Obedience is the life accessed in Jesus. So your obedience displays your true faith. Or no obedience betrays where you've been deceived into seeking life from another vine. We don't hear it sung very often anymore, but this got summarized succinctly in the old hymn, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Is Jesus' joy what you want? Do you want to agree with this definition of life as he offers it? Do you want to connect to his vine by faith? It's not enough to say that you will believe Jesus. It is not even enough to say that you want to obey Jesus. All these things we could easily assent to this morning in our minds and walk out and forget. But the next thing Jesus says tests the genuineness of our words and calls for evidence. In order to confidently say that we are living with Jesus, we must have the life of Jesus in us. And that life is the life Jesus said he had with his father, obeying him and in obeying, remaining in him. This, as Paul will say, completely removes all boasting in our work for God. 
whatever obedience you commit is Christ living in you. Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, connecting to the vine in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Obedience is not the way into life. It's not earning anything. No, obedience is the way of life. It's the way in which we're receiving Jesus and living Jesus' life. And what is the fruit that manifests that? We've been talking about the vine and the branch, and we know Jesus says there's going to be fruit. What's the fruit? Well, we're going to get to that in two weeks. It's love. How do you know the life of the vine is connected to your branch and obedience is flowing from it to you? You love each other. I hope that encourages you if your heart is filled with love for the people of God here. That's the evidence that the obedience has made its way from Jesus to your heart and out of your life. And if you've been obeying Jesus with his life, trusting and obeying, you know what Jesus is talking about. You know what that joy feels like. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Brothers and sisters, as you're obeying, remain in Jesus by continuing to obey. Now, I think Jesus puts obedience at the middle of this conversation because he knows it's what's going to reveal our hearts. People rise and fall with Jesus based on whether or not they want to follow him in obedience. This is the stumbling block. Now, let me tell you, because we're talking about realities here that we're believing are true because the triune God who we cannot see is living in this reality right now of life. And he's telling us this is actually real life. And this is what I want you to have. And though your eyes can't lay hold on it, your faith can and your heart can connect to this life and receive it. So I understand that we are not talking about physical, visible realities, but we are talking about realities nonetheless. And while we're talking about realities, let me tell you about other realities operating. Let me tell you what the powers of your flesh and the devil would love to achieve in your heart when you hear the word of God and Jesus say, obey me. He would love for you first to say, Well, that all sounded really good, Jesus, about the joy and the life until you said obey. That's what he would love to first have you respond. I think your flesh and the devil want us to rapid associate obedience with burden, obedience with hardship or legalism or gracelessness or arbitrary rules. And have you swiftly move on to conclude that obedience to Jesus is lifeless. You know why they want you to think that? So that you'll die. Now 
The enemy of God would rather die in that false version of life than worshipfully bow the knee to the gracious and merciful God who has turned history over and created us out of nothing and worked in patience amidst our rebellion so that he could bring us into the most real life ever lived with him and his son and his spirit for all time. I cannot personally wait to see Satan and his lies damned to hell for how he has worked and schemed and spun in his anger and spite against a loving God to bring souls with him to hell by convincing them that obedience is not life. The Spirit of God and the Son of God and the Word of God all invite us to see true life when you hear the words obeying God is life so that our hearts would respond with the reality that it is true and real and say yes and amen. 1 John 5, his commands are not burdensome. They are how we learn the way to life. For any trapped and ensnared sinner here this morning, the testimony of the people of God around you that we urge and encourage you to lay hold of is that in Jesus, there is power over your sin and your slavery. And in his spirit, there is all that is needed to be raised out of your sin into obedience. For the saints here who have been walking with the Lord for some time, I imagine you could all tell us something about this joy and obedience. Haven't you found, church, that the joy of Jesus grows in you when we love Jesus with the obedient love he gives? Haven't you found that to be true? I suppose that's how we could think about sanctification. Sanctification is a a life of loving Jesus with the obedient love he gives. And as we do, growing in our joy. Jesus invites us all to know his joy and have his joy fill us. It is an invitation to have his life and to live his life. It is offered to each and every one of us today. Friends, there are times when I find that my words can't carry the weight of the realities I'm trying to convey. I trust that even if the sermon in my words did nothing for you, the words of Jesus can... So as we finish, I'm going to read his word in all our hearing. And let's take a few minutes for us to sit in quiet reflection to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. And then I'll close us in prayer. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full.
Father, Son, and Spirit, what a great work it is you've done to make it possible that we could live with you. We pray by whatever means necessary that you would convince, encourage, move our hearts to faith and to obedience so that we might have Jesus' joy and be filled more with it. We praise you as a great God who offers redemption and life. We ask that you would help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.